ladies, welcome. We continue our study of the uh, of the parashiyot. These are, I must remind you, winter parashiyot, although it doesn't feel like winter. But uh, these are the parashiyot that are traditionally read when the weather is. Uh, let's put it this way, uh, less warm than it is today, so we can be fooled, but we are in Perashat Lech Lecha, which is in the beginning of Bereshit. <coughs> I said over Shabbat that we've been giving Shi'urim on Perashat of Shavuah for over 25 years, and I think we have 25 different options if you go to Lech Lecha. And uh, what amazes me that I don't think we repeat it once. I think you're able to go through all 25 and they're all unique and different. And uh, today's no exception. Uh, we're going to analyze Parashat Lech Lecha and I do have a revelation that I think is uh, it's a hidush. It'll take me time to develop it, so I ask for your patience. We need to build it properly from the ground until we get to the, to the top. But again, uh, the Torah never disappoints us. Anytime you open up the Perashah, you'll always find something new and something amazing that's on par. It, it's not like, you know, okay, the 28th Hindush is going to be, you know, on a lower level because they're already exhausting it. It's not so. Every year it just gets bigger and better, the Hindushim. So the Torah is endless and it's infinite and it's God's wisdom. And I guess uh, we shouldn't expect anything else or anything less. <clears throat> in order to appreciate what we're going to study today, if you have a homage in front of you, it won't hurt, that's for sure. But I'll read the text. You can trust me. I'm a rabbi. I won't lie. We're in Parashat Lech Lecha, and we're in Perik Yudalid. So I'm going to read you the story. Maybe you heard of it. There was a king. His name was Amrafel. You never heard of him. I never heard of him until I read the text either. He's not so famous. It's not like a Hashverosh, but everybody knows. This guy's called Amrafel. And he was the king of Shin'ar. Where is Shin'ar? Wherever. Aryoch. There was another king called Aryoch. Another generic. Melech Elasar. He's the king of Elasar. Go Google it. Kedor Laomer. That's the third king. Kedor Laomer. And he's the king of Elam. And you have Tid'al. Tid'al is Melech Goyim. Which, okay, that, that much we understand. He was the king of the Goyim, which is, which is fine. All of them actually were the king of the Goyim, but for some reason when it comes to him, they mention that he's the king of Goyim. Okay, fine. Well, what did they do? Asum al They went to war. And this would be uh, the breakout of what we would refer to as World War I. This is the first World War it didn't happen in 1918. This happens in the Bible. Parashat The four kings are going to go to war against the five kings. And if you just want to know the five kings, it's uh, Bera, Birsha, 
Shinab, Shem Ever, uh, and uh, Bela. And what happened? They met. They met at a battlefield. The battlefield was called Emek Sidim. You want to know where Emek Sidim is? The Torah says, Huyama Melah. It's by the Dead Sea. So next time you go to the Dead Sea, besides covering your body in mud and floating, you could also uh, imagine in your mind what took place at this location, you know, 4,000 years ago. And you start to imagine uh, all the powers of the world gathered at Yama Melah, uh, not to climb Masada, but in order to, to go to war. And the Torah says the, uh, the war... The war went on and lasted for a while, on and off. And the Pasuk then comes along and says, in uh, Pasuk Tet, it lists the kings again. Et kedor laomer melech elam, v'tid'al melech goyim, v'amrafel melech shin'ar, v'aryoch melech el-asar. It changes the order. It's a question. I mean, I don't know why it wrote it in the, that order of the first place, but then whatever order it chose in Pasuk uh, Aleph, when it gets to Pasuk Tet, it puts the kings in a different order. That's worthy to, to know why, so that she takes care of that right away. That she comes along and says that... Kedor um, Laomer was the main... Uh, was the main, uh, the main guy. And out of the four kings, Kedod Omer was like the leader of the bunch. So therefore he's highlighted and mentioned first in, the, in this pasuk. Kedod Omer Melech Elam. So then if he's the leader of the bunch, then you have to ask a question, why did you mention the other guy, Amraphel, first in the first pasuk? All right, continue. Don't get confused, just continue. So the pasuk says... So the four kings beat the five kings. Not only the four kings, this is called an upset. The underdog won. Four kings beat the five kings and they actually take all the spoils from them and they take all their, uh, uh, you know, the chush, all their assets, the spoils of war. lot. Oh, and not only that, but they also take Lot. Which Lot, if you remember, lived in Sedom. So it says they got Sedom, they got Lot also. They took Lot as, uh, as a captive. Which I, I thought that was strange because it says, They took everything that belonged to Sedom Ba'amora. So that should include Lot. But the Pasuk puts Lot in a separate uh, category. Not only did they take everything that belongs to Sodom, but Now the Torah comes along and says, and who is Lot? Ben Ahi Avram. He is the nephew of Abraham. You know that. Abraham's father and Lot's father were brothers. Abraham's father was Terah. Lot's father was Haran. They were brothers. So therefore he went... And who did they take? They took Lot. And who is Lot? Ben Achi Abraham. He's the nephew of Abraham. Now, if you don't know that by now, we know who Lot is. If I would ask you, who's Lot? You're not going to say which one. 
There's only one lot. So why did the Torah have to come and tell me a lot? You know which lot it was? Menachi Abraham, the nephew of Abraham. I thought it was the other guy. I thought it was the other lot. And even if you look at the way the Pasuk is written, I wish you would have a homage in front of you to appreciate it. It says, et lot They took Lot and his, his money. Et ben Ahi Abram, the nephew of Abram. The way the Torah is writing this is strange. It introduces Lot, et Lot, et and then it says, oh, by the way, who's Lot? Ben Ahi Abram. Why does it put the Rechush in the middle? If I was writing the Pasuk, I would write it like this. et Lot, Ben Ahi Abram. They took Lot, who's the nephew of Abram, and what did they take from him? Him, Ve'et Ko Rechusho. Why does the Pasuk say, et Lot, Ve'et Rechusho, Ben Ahi Abram? It's, I mean, not the normal way to write a Pasuk, put it that way. And then what happens? I'm just giving you the story without any analysis now, so just you can remember what happened. This is first grade. We didn't say anything yet. The palit came. Who's the palit? Palit is the one that escaped the war. So there must have been somebody that was very, very strong that was able to escape. And the rabbis tell us there was a guy by the name of Og. Og was a giant. And he was able to escape. And he comes to Abram. He comes to Abram. Abram is called the Ivri. Anybody know what the Ivri means? Well, whatever it means, it's the only time in the whole Torah that Abram is ever called an Ivri. Even though we always know that Abram Ivri. But you think it's written 32 times, it's only written once. That is Abraham Ivri, and the only time it's written is here when the Palit comes to tell Abraham, it refers to him as which Abraham? Abraham Ivri. And what does he tell him? So he tells him, Listen, I have bad news to tell you, Abraham Ivri. I just came back from the war, and they captured your nephew Lot. And he's in trouble. So the Pasuk comes along and says, Vayishma Abraham ki nishba Ahiv. Abraham hears that his. Whoa. Yeah, that's exactly my problem also. I'm just noticing that now. Abraham hears that his brother was taken into captivity. Hold it. It's not his brother. It's his nephew. I mean, in, in, in three Pesukim, Lot did not turn into his brother. I guarantee you that. I mean, today, anything could happen. But in the olden days, when everybody remained what they were from when they were born until they died. So if it's his nephew, in a few Pesukim later, it's still his nephew. He can't become a nephew. And all of a sudden, he says, he heard that his brother was taken into captivity. It's not his brother. I mean, this is incredible. All right, so it says he gathered his army. He had an army, a small army, mind you. Only 318 uh, soldiers. And then it says he went 
and he was able to uh, recapture Lot and save Lot from the from the enemies. That's that's the basic uh, story. And then, right after that, on the way back from the war, after he saved Lot, he makes a pit stop in Jerusalem, and he meets the king of Jerusalem. The king of Jerusalem's name was Malkitzedek. It says, Malkitzedek, Melech Shalem, he greeted Abram. Abram actually gave him 10% of the spoils because he gave charity, which is very nice. And then he blessed him. And he said, Baruch el Elyon, Malkitzedek is blessing Abraham. Blessed be the Lord God, El Elyon, the exalted God. Asher migen sarecha biyadecha. He saved you from your enemies. Abraham had enemies, and God saved him from his enemies. Hold it. <laughs> I don't know if Abraham had any enemies in this war. I know Lot might have had some enemies. But what does it mean that God saved you from your enemies? Where are the enemies of Abraham over here? It's four kings fighting five kings. It seems Abraham had nothing to do with this war. Abraham's sitting home in Elonim Mamre. And that would happen. Lot got tangled up in this somehow. And they took him. Fine. It's, it's nothing to do with Abraham. They took Lot. Now, happens to me, Abraham is a tzaddik and he doesn't want to leave his uh, nephew, uh, you know, hanging. And. To his credit, I mean, I wouldn't have done this, but he puts himself in great danger to save Lot. Now, at the end of the day, who's Lot? With all due respect. This is a man that made a conscious decision to leave Abraham. They were traveling together initially, and then Lot, uh, what should I say? He couldn't live with the tzaddik. It was too, too much pressure living with the tzaddik. So he decided to, uh, when Abraham gave him the option to, to leave, Lot, instead of saying, Hasbi Shalom, I will never leave the tzaddik. Anybody that leaves the tzaddik, it's like leaving life itself. Instead, what does he say? Arrivederci. He tells him, you know, see an Arab. And, and he goes on his way, which is a you know, fatal mistake on Lot's part. And he, it's not like he left the tzaddik to move to Bnei Berak. He moves to, to Las Vegas. He moves to Sedom. If I was Abraham Abino, I would say, good for him, he deserves it. He was living in the lap of spiritual luxury, and all of a sudden he gives it all up to go live with the, with, with the, with the, with the, uh, the, the wicked, cruel people of Sedom. Serves him right. He gets into trouble. I have to risk my life now to go into World War I with 318 soldiers and start to fight for who? For, for, for Lord? I wouldn't have done it, but thank God I'm not Lord's uh, uncle. Abraham was. And Abraham was a tzaddik, and he went to save his nephew. Good for him. I give him all the credit in the world. And uh, even though he risked his life, he, he saves Lot. So then when Malkitzedek sees him at the end, he tells him, oh, bless God that saved you from your enemies. And if I was Abraham, I would have told him, I have no enemies, actually. This was nothing to do about me. And they weren't fighting about me. They were fighting with each other, and Lot got embroiled. So I just went to save Lot. Where are the enemies over here? What is what he says? Bless the God that saved you from your enemies. So that's the words that really piqued my curiosity. So I said to myself, must be, in this war, there must have been some enemies of Abraham. And not enemies necessarily of Lot. So I go back now. Now that you heard the story, I'm going back. Hazara. 
Perik Yudalin, take two. Vehibime Amrafel. Remember, I told you he's a generic? Well, now I'm going to tell you who he is. Rashi tells us who is Amrafel. She says, Amrafel, who Nimrod? Uh, it's Nimrod. So Nimrod had two passports. One said Nimrod on it, and one said Amrafel. You know, for the COVID card, he put Amrafel on it so he can get into the movie theater. So it said over here, so if his name is Nimrod, why don't, why don't you call him Nimrod? So that she says, She'amar le'Abraham fall le'toch kibshana esh. Abraham had a relationship with Nimrod. It wasn't a good one, but he had a relationship with him nonetheless. While Abraham was preaching monotheism to the world, Nimrod was preaching idolatry and actually preaching self-deity. Nimrod would go around saying, I'm God. I don't believe Abraham. So uh, uh, there was a great argument, a philosophical argument between these two men. Nimrod had a following as well as Abraham was building a great following and Nimrod felt threatened by Abraham. And you know the story, it's told, it's not written in the Torah, but it's told that Nimrod one day got so fed up with Abraham that he threatened him that if he doesn't denounce his belief in God and doesn't accept Nimrod as the God, he's going to throw him into a fiery furnace. You know what I'm talking about? Ur-Kazdim. And Abraham said, you could throw me in a fiery furnace, but my, my belief is not cheap that I just give it up for, for anything. And therefore I'm willing to die for my beliefs, which is very, very, very noble. And Nimrod said, fine. And he took Abraham and he threw him into the fire. Now, Abraham was willing to die. He didn't know he was going to survive it. Abraham comes out unscathed. Neskadol. As a matter of fact, uh, Abraham would say at a later date, He says, I should have been pulverized into dust and ashes. When? When Nimrod threw me into the fire. But... God Almighty saved me. So that's why they called Nimrod Amrafel. Because Amrafel is a combination of two words. Amar fall. He told Abraham, if you don't accept me and denounce your God, I will fall you into the, I will throw you into the fire. Amar fall. He said, I will Fall you. In English, it's the same word, by the way. Nafal is the fall. Nafal, to fall. It comes from the same root. So it is the one that said, fall into the fire. Amar, fall. Amrafel. Now you know? Now, I love the nickname, don't get me wrong. Beautiful nickname. He serves him right to have such a nickname. But, first of all, how did Rashi know that it's Nimrod? How did Rashi know this? Just a side question. So that, that I saw the Siftah Hamim answers. Siftah Hamim comes along and he says that if you go a little earlier, if you go a little earlier in Perik Yud, Perik Yud Pasuk Yud, 10-10. The Pasuk comes along and tells us about Nimrod. It's telling us about this guy Nimrod early on. And it says he became the king. 
And wh- where was his kingdom? Bavel. He was the king of Bavel. And where is Bavel? Oh, so he was the king of Shinar. And here, what does it say? So we know if, if Nimrod was the king of Shinar, and here it says Amraphel, Melech Shinar, that means Amraphel must be Nimrod. Very simple. Understand how does she figure that out? Good. Amraphel is Nimrod. It's the same guy. And my question is, why did the Torah deem it necessary to change his name now? Call him Nimrod. We would have saved 10 minutes of this class, by the way. It took us 10 minutes to identify who the guy is, and he's, uh, he's really the other guy, he's the king of the... Just tell me the guy's name, Nimrod. I don't need to know his, uh, his uh, alias. His name is Nimrod. Why all of a sudden does it have to mention it's the guy that wanted to throw Abraham into the fire? That's the calling him. So in order to understand what's happening in this story over here, I found a very, very important comment in this sefer called Haktaba Kabbalah. It's not a book on Kabbalah, it's just, that's what the book is called. So he writes like this. Lot is the nephew of Abraham. Remember we saw that pasuk? Lot, the nephew of Abraham. So he says, We know who Lot is. Why does it have to give us his uh, bio again? Ben Ahi Abraham. You know what the pasuk is coming over here? To tell us, Lot. They didn't take Lot as captive because he was part of Sidon. That's not why they took him. They took Lot into captivity for a different reason. What's the reason? So he comes along and he says, Abal et Lot. They only took Lot because he was the nephew of Abraham. And therefore, according to the Kitab Kabbalah, this was actually an attack against Abraham. So how are you going to attack Abraham if he's not in the war? You ask the uh, immigration who in this town is related to the man Abraham? They say, oh, his nephew lives there. Beautiful. So therefore the pasuk, when it comes along and says that they took Lot, how does it say it? The pasuk's language is, and I quote, That, the reason why they took Rehu Sedom was because that's what you do in war. But then the pasuk says, separate reason, two pasukim, for the reason of a normal reason, when you go to war, you take the spoils, but then it says in a separate pasuk, implying that they took Lot for a different reason. And what's the reason why they took him? Because he is Ben Ahi Abraham. And I'd like to say it even better. 
to the enemies of Abraham, who is Amraphel, to the enemies of Abraham, what, what asset does Lot have? His asset that he has that will benefit Amraphel is his relationship to Abraham. That's what he's worth. And if I'll read the Pasuk like this, and they took his, his value. And you want to know what his value is? Ben Ahi Avram. That's his value. It's coming to tell you what his worth was. They didn't care about Lot's money. Who cares about Lot's money? Although he might have been a rich man, but it's coming to tell you they took and if you want to know what his rechush was in, in relationship to those that took him into captivity, Ben Ahi Avram. Because now, they know Avram's a big tzaddik, and they know when they hear that his nephew's in captivity, that'll drag him into the war. And once he comes into the war, they'll kill him. So this is like, a, uh, you know, the, this is a setup, as we call it. It's a trap. So really, they don't have anything against Lot, I hate to tell you. They don't, they, Lot is a pawn. Lot is just a, uh, uh, exactly, uh, a puppet in order to bring the main, the main enemy of Nimrod. <laughs> the enemies of Avram don't give up. He said he tried to kill him in the fire and Avram made Nimrod look bad. He made him look very bad. What do you think, the Goyim don't have revenge? Nimrod wouldn't forget it. So many years later, the Torah comes along and calls him Amraphel to say that's why he went into this war because he was Amraphel. He was the one that threw Abraham into the fire and it didn't work out for him. So now Amraphel, the one that was Amar Abraham full, he told Abraham go into the fire and Abraham walked out of the fire. So that's why he went back and they had this war and in the war he had an idea. Let me grab Abraham. Let me grab Abraham's nephew. He has an asset, Abraham's nephew, and the asset is his uncle. That's what they were going after. So the pursuit comes along and says, oh, If you want me to read a little more, by the way, just to get the flavor of the Kitab of Kabbalah. And you know what they had against Abraham? Abraham had a philosophical argument with these people. They believed in paganism and Abu Dazara, and Abraham preached in, in God. And he publicized in, in front of the masses about this. And he showed them how their liars and their, their, their fakers. He, he, he showed up Nimrod, he showed them all up. So this was an ideological argument. They didn't hate Abraham because he was Jewish. Jews, big deal. They hated what his Jewishness stands for. You see, there's two types of anti-Semites. There's one anti-Semite that hates the Jew because he's just there. He don't care what he believes in, what he doesn't believe in. That's Hitler. Hitler didn't care if you were a religious Jew or you weren't a religious Jew. If your last name was, 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 was Jewish 
and your mother was Jewish and your grandmother was Jewish, Hitler didn't care. And even if you went to Hitler and said, well, but I don't keep Shabbat and I eat pig and I don't do it. He doesn't care, you're Jewish. It, the, the religion didn't threaten Hitler. It was the actual mere fact of a Jew. Not the case in Abraham's situation. They had nothing against Abraham being a Jew. But you know what they were against? That he was an Ivri. And what does Ivri mean? Ivri, the word Ivri comes from the word Ever. Ever means a side. Everybody in Abraham's time was on one side of the ideological argument. And where was Abraham? He's the Ivri. He's against. He's on the other side. So they, they hated Abraham for what he represented. They hated Abraham for his teachings. They hated Abraham for his philosophy. They hated Abraham for his, 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 his outspokenness against idolatry and for his loyalty and commitment to monotheism. And that's why the only place in the Torah that Abraham is called Evri is in this, week's, in this story. Because it's telling us why they fought against Abraham. Not because he was Jewish. Not because he ate uh, 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 Hamin on Friday night. And because he, because he went to shul. That wouldn't bother them. What bothered them is preaching. And the way the Torah represents the, uh, uh, the hatred that they had against Abraham, they hated him because he was not Abraham, because he was Abraham Ha'ivri, where he stood. You understanding how we're learning it? Yeah. And that's why only in this place it mentions the Ivri. In, in this case over there, they were going against the Ivri of Abraham, not Abraham, the Ivri Shebo. them? Oh, and now he says, the Kitab Kabbalah, I understand that when he ultimately is able to save Lot, which he does, he saves him. What does Malki Tzedek tell him? Malki Tzedek says, Asher migen sarecha beyadecha. He delivered your enemies into your hand. Who's the enemy? Nimrod. In this war, Nimrod would die. Abraham would end up having Nimrod killed. Nimrod dies. He's one of the four kings. They die. And Melchizedek understood very good. Melchizedek said, God delivered your enemies because they were against you. They weren't against Lot. These were your enemies. They were coming after you. And therefore, blessed be God, Are we clear? Now when the Palit came along, the Palit is Lot is Og. And he tells Abraham, hey, Lot's in trouble. He tells him, Abraham Ivri. So what does the Pasuk say? Vayishma Abraham. What is Vayishma Abraham? Tell me how you learned Vayishma Abraham. Vayishma. We're not the Kabbalah. Vayishma. He heard. Oh, because I thought Abraham was hard of hearing. What does it have to tell me? Uh, Og tells him something. Og tells him something. Og says, listen, your, your, your nephew Lot is in trouble. So the Pasuk says, and you should know something about Abraham. He heard it. I was like, he heard it. Why, why shouldn't he hear it? I mean, Og, Og, if he was a giant, he must have talked like a giant also. You could probably hear it from, 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 from to China. So what does the Pasuk have to say by Yishma Abraham? Of course he heard. By Yishma doesn't mean he heard. By but Yeshma means he understood. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, so you say, you hear me? 
What do I mean when I say you hear me? I don't mean you hear me. Of course you hear me. You hear me means you understand me. So the pasuk is coming over here and say, Abraham, he heard it. And I have over here the great sefer called Tzoror Hamor. Tzoror Hamor is the great rabbi from Spain. And the Tzoror Hamor, in classic commentary on the Humash, he comes along and he says, Vayishma. That's a Shema. Kilomar. When he heard about the war, Hevin, he understood. The only reason why Lot was taken into captivity, Ela Bishvil Shehaya, his nephew. That's the only reason. They only did that in order to show their hatred to him. So therefore, Vayishma means he chapped, as, as you would say in your vernacular. He understood very good. He got it, exactly. He knew exactly what was going on over here. He says, it's not about Lot. They're coming against me. So far, so good? So I still have, uh, uh, by the way, and I found this explicitly in the Midrash, Pitkid just so none of you can come home and say, where does he get all? Where is he making this stuff up? Why do we have to believe him? It's documented in Perkid Rebili Ezer, in chapter 27. So he says, one of the miracles that happened to Abraham, Ba'u kola melachim, all the kings came, lehorgo, to kill Abraham. Ve'amru, nathil rishon beben ahiv. Let's start with his nephew. Ve'arkak nathil lo. And then we'll get to him. That means it was a setup. They thought this was the plan. And who's, who's leading the bunch? Amrafel. And of course, Abraham Abinu will say, oh, here's my chance now. <laughs> I'm waiting for this moment to finally knock this, this, uh, this nasha away. I, I also saw, just to make it a, a, a little more dramatic, I have a sefer over here that was written by the Levush. Maybe Mordechai Yafe. He wrote a book on homage called Sefer Ha'ora. And he writes it. I don't know where he gets it from, but I trust him. He says, you know what probably happened? After Abraham got thrown into the furnace by, by, by Nimrod, he says they probably made a peace treaty. You remember one, one time there was a rift between uh, Abraham and Abimelech. We'll get to it. And after they got into the rift, they made peace. And they said, you know what? White flag, both sides. Abraham said, I won't bother you and you don't bother me and my children. And everybody goes in peace. And he says, that's what probably happened in this story over here. After Nimrod realized he can't get Abraham, he probably said, listen, you know, you're too strong. You're, you're, God's with you. I don't know what you are. You know what? I won't bother you. You don't bother me. So Abraham says, well, as long as he's keeping the peace, I can't touch him. Once already he went after his nephew, Vayishma Avraham. He understood very good. He's not going after Lot. That's a breach of the peace. He's coming after me. And therefore he said, if he broke the peace, all bets are off. And therefore he allowed himself to jump into the war and, and kill him. But it still doesn't answer me Abraham 
you're coming along and telling me in the first pasuk it was his nephew. And then you tell me a second later, it was his brother. And the pasuk says clearly, How do you answer that? We're in trouble. Big question. I'd like to tell you how I heard many years ago from Acham of Yosef, how he explained it. I was there live when he said it. Such a beautiful derash. Earlier in the Pirasha, see how you learn the Pirasha in depth. That's the only way to learn the, 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 the Sefer Torah. You, you could go to another class and hear Bible stories, and they're very good. But you're not going to know the, the depth of, of what's taking place. So it's the only way to learn properly. And nobody should say, well, ladies don't deserve to learn in depth. They absolutely deserve to learn just as deep, if not more, than the men. If you look at the beginning of the Pirasha, So you remember when Abraham and Lot, or I should say, the shepherds of Abraham and Lot get into a quarrel. So the Pasuk says, when they got into the quarrel, Abraham says, you know what? I don't want it to be a quarrel between us. I don't want there to be any, any fighting between us. You know why? Ki anashim ahim anahnu. Oh. Anashim ahim. So what does it mean? Anashim ahim. So that she comes along and says, domim bekelastar panim. They looked like each other. They looked like twin brothers. So it wasn't uh, uh, just that he was saying, it's my brother, you could call Lot your brother if you look like him. I mean, you ever see two people that look alike? They say they practically look like brothers. They look like sisters. Well, that's not my sister. That's my niece. So that's my nephew. But Abraham Abinu would refer to Abraham as his brother because he actually was a spinning image. They looked like each other. So Achamavaya says, now we understand exactly what's going on. Abraham hears that Lot is taken into captivity. Abraham really is not going to go save Lot. Lot already, he deserved it. He left Abraham, he moved to Sidon. Who knows if he even believes in God anymore, Lot. The Pasuk says he left the belief. He went off to Derech. Nimrod, good luck to Nimrod. What, I'm going to I'm gonna fall into a trap? Because Nimrod wants to bring me into the, into the war. I'm going to, that's, he's, he's baiting him. Why should Abraham fall for the bait? Good luck to Nimrod, good luck to all of them, good luck to Lord. He should have told Og, go back to the war and tell them, nice try, I wasn't born yesterday. You know, I know you're not going after Lord, you're trying to go after me, it's not going to work, and then have a good day, Shalom Kotum, go back to learning. <laughs> but you know what the problem was? Lot looked exactly like Avraham Avinu. And everybody was starting to say, Nimrod finally captured Abraham. And Abraham knew there's going to be a big Hidud Hashem over here. Because that was a clever trick. They didn't just go after any relative of Abraham. They went after the relative that most resembles Abraham. And you know what they do in the captivity? Ever see those, uh, uh, those captives? They make them say certain things. 
you know, they put a gun to their head and they say, okay, go tell everybody that you're guilty and that uh, you're sorry and that America stinks and whatever, whatever they make them say. And everybody knows that they're being forced because they're in captivity. Now, Abraham knows that Nimrod will now make a press conference and bring Lot, and there's a gun behind his back, and, everybody, and on the caption underneath on the CNN, it's going to say, Abraham Abinu. And everybody can say, yeah, that's him. That's him. I can swear that. They're not going to know it's fake news. They can say, that's him. And all of a sudden, they're going to have Lot read, read the script. Yes, Nimrod is the real God. I was wrong all these years. I denounce God. I denounce my whole thing. And Abraham says, that's what's going to happen. And it's going to be a big Hidun Hashem. So that's what the Pesach says, by Yishma Avram ki Nishma Achiv. Biologically, it was his nephew, but in resemblance, it was his brother. And he says, because he's my brother in looks, that's why I got to go save him. If it was just his nephew, kapara. Kapara. It's a nephew that rebelled against him. To put himself in danger to save a nephew that rebelled against God, maybe you're not obligated. But Kiddush Ba'ahiv, <laughs> Avram has, no, uh, has little choice but to go then and, and save. So you understand what, what motivates Abraham over here. And of course, when he gets into the war, nobody would think that Abraham would be able to win. I mean, it's 318 against five kings. I mean, I don't care. In the biggest upset in history, that doesn't happen. But it happened here. And everybody then saw the greatness of Abraham and the potential Kidul Hashem that could have happened turns out to become one of the greatest Kiddush Hashems. So far, so good? Now that's not the secret that I came to tell you. Although, although it's, a, it's a proper way of learning the, the text now. Now everything works out. I think we've answered all our questions. And to be honest with you, I can end here and I have no guilt. If I end the class right now, I feel very comfortable that I've communicated a very proper idea in learning the Pirashah properly so you know exactly uh, who was what and what everybody did. But I cannot deprive you from one more revelation. I said to myself, The Ramban taught us that everything that happens to the Avot is a precursor to what's going to happen to the children. Jewish history doesn't begin with the children, it begins with the Avot. Their life stories become our history. They paved the way for Jewish history. Therefore, whenever you read Ma'aseh Avot, you always have to read it in two, two screens. What happened to them, and then when did what happened to them ultimately happen to us? What happened to Ma'aseh Avot is in a microcosm, which eventually would manifest itself in a macrocosm to us. You know that rule, Ma'aseh Avot Siman Nabanim, it's very important. And every story of Abraham, it's like that we always have to study it on those two levels. What happened, and then when did it happen again? So I got to thinking, and I said to myself, wait, 
This war is unlike any other war that was ever fought. It wasn't about territory. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about anti-Semitism. Because they didn't hate the Jew because his last name was Cohen. So what was this a war about? This was a war against the philosophy and the ideological understanding of what the Jew represents. His Torah, his mitzvot. So I asked myself, was there ever a case in Jewish history where we had an enemy that came against us not to get rid of the Jews, but to get rid of what we believe in? You're unbelievable. You're unbelievable. We, we do have a case. It's the Greeks. Yavan. The Greeks, as we say in the Sidur, and the Sidur is accurate, it says, I know it's not Hanukkah now. I know that. I know that's not Hanukkah. But I can still talk about it if I want. If your brain is not holding by Hanukkah, then just learn it in the, in, 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 just hypothetically. When the Greek wicked people rose up against us, against what? Not against the Jews. They did not want to get rid of Jews. They wanted to get rid of what the Jew represents. They didn't want to be ma'avir the Jews. They wanted to keep the Jews. They have no problem against Jews. Just give us your belief. Give us hukir tzonach. Understand? So I said, maybe you're onto something. Maybe this is the ma'aseh avot, siman lebanim, of the future ideological war that would be fought by the Greeks against us. It's the only time you see it. All the other wars of anti-Semitism they were going against us. Haman didn't care if we were religious or not. Hitler didn't care if we were religious. He didn't care about the Torah. He didn't care about nothing. He cared just get rid of the Jews. The final solution was to get rid of us. Yavad was different. We have nothing. Hellenists, by the way, were Jews. They, they survived. Because they, 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 they gave in their religious passports. They said, as long as you're given your religious credentials, we have no problem against you. And that's exactly what the Mnod. The Mnod said, I have nothing against Abraham. I'm going against the Ivri. And the only other time in history where they came after the Ivri was Yavan. Am I right? Well, listen to this. Listen to this. What do we know about this war? We know that in the war of the Greeks, Matityahu and his small little family Maccabees, Hashmonaim, they come in and they're able to overpower in the greatest upset in history the great king of Yavan. Now, that's a classic case of that the many fell in the hands of the few. But look what happened here. Abraham has an army of 318 soldiers. I mean, that's Ma'atim. And especially if you learn that it wasn't even 300 soldiers. The Midrash learns it was one soldier called Eliezer. Yeah. 
and the numerical value of Eliezer equals 318. So it was him. So you have two people that are taking on four kings, five kings, and who wins? Abraham and Eliezer. Is that not the precursor of Rabbi Miyad Ma'atim? You believe what's going on over here? Now I said to myself, there's an old rule that we say, you always look for the first time a word is used in the Torah. Because the first time it's used, that's its, that's the essence and it starts to teach us a lot about the word. Now by the time you get to Parashat Lech a lot of words already were, were used. But there's one word that makes its debut in Parashat Lech When Abraham takes his soldiers, the 318, or the however we want to learn, Pasuk Yudal, what does the Pasuk say? Vayarek et Hanichav. It calls these men Hanichav. Hanichav. Oh, oh! you're so smart. You, you know what the holiday of the Greeks is, by the way, that we celebrate. You know what it's called? It's called Hanukkah. And all of a sudden, now, I'm not sure if Hanukkah has anything to do with Hanukkah, but why is it calling the soldiers Hanukkah? So I look at Dashi. Dashi says, Hanukkah. It's Eliezer that was trained for mitzvot. When you inaugurate somebody, you make a chinuch. When you teach a child, you're inaugurating them into education. It's called chinuch. Lehanech, something is to inaugurate. So therefore, it's Eliezer that was inaugurated by Abraham. And then Rashi says, well, just so you can get familiar with the word, he says, Vechen, I'll give you an example. Hanukkah Mizbeah. That she gives the example, if you want to know what the word Hanichab is, Hanukkah Mizbeah. Now, I know on Hanukkah you sing the Ma'otsur. Hanukkah Mizbeah. That's the song. I, I'm not going to sing it. But the point is, you think it's a coincidence that you have a war over here that's fought by Abraham, who's the minority, and there's an upset of the majority. It's an ideological war that's fighting against the principles for what we stand for. And the first time the Torah mentions the verb Hanukkah is used over here, Hanukkah. And then she said, oh yeah, like Hanukkah Tamizbeah. The more I talk, the more I'm starting to believe that this is the Ma'aseh Avot Banim of the holiday of Hanukkah. This is where it started. If anybody asks, where is Hanukkah in the Torah? And if somebody asks, what did the rabbi talk about today? They were talking about Hanukkah. Hanukkah, besides the fact that we're, we're, we're more than a month out, where did he see Hanukkah in Parashat Lech Lecha? And you answer to, to that person, it's all over the place. Where didn't you see it? It's everywhere you turn. Now, does anybody know what happened or where the Greeks were location on the map? Syria. There was Syria, exactly. You know which Syria, that's where the Greeks were. There was two Greek empires. There was a Greek empire in Egypt and there was the Greek empire in Syria. Do you know what area in Syria? Antioch. Antioch. This northern Syria. 
right above northern Syria. Some say it's today even maybe Turkey, which is northern Syria. If you want the exact location, it's north of Damascus. That's where the Greeks had their empire. Now, listen, I wish, I wish in this perasha of Abraham, it would mention Syria, but that's asking too much. I mean, it does tell us Yamamelah, they were in Dead Sea, which is not the location. But again, beggars can't be choosy. So I can't really be so greedy to think that it's going to mention northern Syria. However, it says when Abraham entered the war, the Pasuk says, Abraham chased the enemies away. Pasuk Tetvav. Vayirdefem ad Chovah. He chased them until a city called Chovah. Where is Chovah? Asher misimole Damesek. Which was north of Damascus. So therefore, actually, the location where Malkut Yavan was is hinted in this story as well. Now, I, I didn't unravel everything, but I gave you homework now because if Hanukkah is in this story, you'll see so many allusions to it. I'd just like to give you one more. So then Abraham makes his way to Jerusalem. Now, you, you, you know what happened after the, after the war was, was defeated when Matityahu and his sons won the war? Do you know that they appointed Matityahu's family, who was the Kohanim, they became the kings, which might have been a mistake. They really should have stayed in the Kohen business, but they also franchised out into the into the king business and they would get punished later on for that. So this is a, a, a time in history where you have a Kohen that is a king. And now look what happens right after Abraham finishes the war. The Pasuk says, Un melech shalem. And Malkitzedek was the king of Jerusalem. Vehu Kohen le'el-elyon. And he was a Kohen. You don't find it a coincidence? You have a king who happens to be a Kohen. When did we see in history that we had Kohanim as kings? Harukah with Matityahu and his kids. And here you have a king who was a Kohen. I mean, I don't think you can get more clear allusions to the story of Hanukkah and Maaseh Avot, Siman Nabani. But the final cherry on the cake that I'll present to our members over here and then I'll be on my way. So I told you there's four kings, correct? Well, I'm talking about the four. The Midrash says the four kings actually represent a futuristic event. The Jewish people would endure four exiles. Each one of these kings represents one of those exiles. And I'll give it to you quickly. Amraphel is the king of Shin'ar. Shin'ar is Bavel. That was the first exile. Galut Bavel. Aryoch is the king of Elasar. Elasar is the place in the map called Madai. Parasu Madai. Elasar represents the second exile of Parasu Madai. Kedor Laomer, he's the king of Elam. The Gemara says that the Greek kingdom began in the city of Elam. 
So Kedolom is the third exile, which is Malchut, Yavan, which began in Elam. Now Tid'al is the fourth exile. And that's Melech Goyim. Because the fourth exile that we're in is not limited to a location like Bavel, Parasu Madai, or Elam. The last exile, the Jews are going to be exiled throughout the world. In this exile that we're in, we've been in Spain, we've been in Europe, we've been in North America. The final exile is going to be the Jew amongst Goyim. It's not going to be limited to one location. Understand how we're learning? So there's four exiles. And that's why the Torah lists them. And remember I asked you about the order? That's why it writes it in that order. Because it's Babel first, and then Parasu Madai, and then Yavan, and then Goyim. But then later on, when the Torah starts to discuss the war, the Pasuk only tells us about Kedor Laomer. It tells us, and Kedor Laomer goes out to war. And Rashi says, what happened to the other guys? They said, well, he led the pack. And the question is, when did you forget all the other three? But based on what we're learning, it's very good. Because since Kedor Laomer is the third of the kings, and since this is the Ma'aseh Avot Siman Banim of Hanukkah, and therefore Kedor Laomer is the king of Elam, and here the Torah wants to hint to us that Galut, the third Galut, which represents Malchut Yaman. Therefore, when the Torah discusses the war in detail, it only talks about Kedor Laomer, and everybody else falls to the wayside. And you ask, why are you highlighting the third king? There was four. Because this is the parasha about the third exile. Kedor Laomer, Melech Elam. Now you understand not only how this story had implications to Avraham Abinu, and exactly what he heard and what he understood and what he did, but you start to read this parasha and you start to see whatever happened to the Abraham, what happened to his descendants. And just like Abraham would come out victorious, and he would beat the Greeks against all odds, even though he was clearly outnumbered, well, if, we, if, if you knew already Parashat Lech Lecha before Hanukkah, you would know already, you'd make a lot of money if you would bet on the Jews, because you would know already how it's going to turn out. Because if Abraham Abinu would win, that certainly means we would win as well. And let this be a, a, a great lesson. Jewish history doesn't begin by us. Our history already is uh, in a spiritual DNA and in a genome of those great tzaddikim. How much reverence we have to have to these great tzaddikim that their lives were so impactful, not only for themselves, but for their descendants. And we say that just like God made miracles for the tzaddikim, God should make the same miracles for their children and their grandchildren and ultimately redeem us from the fourth exile, which is the exile of Goyim, the most severe of all the exiles. And rest assured, that will happen. Bezat Hashem be'yamenu. Amen. Romy, Romy, Romy.